If there was ever a target that the Crown lusted for, it was Baltimore. The city had outfitted, and sent to sea, a flotilla of privateers that had wreaked havoc and turmoil on the entire British naval effort, and had plundered and sunk upwards of five hundred British ships. The citizens of Baltimore knew they were marked men if the British could ever mount an effort against them. Admiral Warren had proclaimed of Baltimore, It is a doomed town, and the London newspapers did not spare the city from its editorial insults. The American Navy must be annihilated, his arsenals and dockyards must be consumed, and the truculent inhabitants of Baltimore must be tamed with the weapons which shook the wooden turrets of Copenhagen. The remnants of the defeated army from Bladensburg that stumbled into the city did not add any confidence to the panicked population. Having seen the power of the British Army, General William Winder pledged his support in fighting with the rest of his fellow Americans, but he said, I am positively sure we will not succeed. Another said that the only way to save Baltimore and the entire state was to capitulate. Baltimore went on a crash program to strengthen her defenses under the command of 62-year-old Major General Samuel Smith. Citizens dug pits and fortifications and barriers, and arriving militia from other states were drilled from dawn to dusk. Smith was quick to tell them what he expected and that he didn't want any more Bladensburg races. The entire environs of Baltimore were transformed into a bristling defensive bastion. The British fleet sailed in the confines of Chesapeake Bay, first one way and then the other. Lieutenant Gleig said, The object of this maneuvering was evidently to deceive the enemy and by keeping him in suspense as to the place threatened to prevent him concentrating his forces or throwing up works for its defense. As the British fleet passed Annapolis, the townspeople ran from their houses, carts and wagons loaded with furniture, and horsemen galloping along the shore as if watching the fearful moment when the boats should be hoisted out. Invasion was at hand. Alarm cannons were fired at every town seeing the fleet pass, and messengers galloped to Baltimore. On September 11, the massive fleet of 50 ships carrying more than 6,000 invaders approached the mouth of the Patapsco River. General Ross had commented that since the campaign season was growing short, he would make Baltimore his winter quarters. When the fleet approached North Point, still 12 miles from the city, it stopped. It was determined to land here, said Gleig, as no one could guess what impediments might be thrown in the way to obstruct the navigation. It would be a two-pronged attack. While the army proceeded by land, the navy would continue upriver to attack Fort McHenry and bombard the city. Each soldier was given three days' rations, and his normal ammunition allotment was increased from sixty to eighty rounds. This was to be a short, furious fight. Only the bare necessities of a blanket, a spare shirt, and extra shoes were to be carried by the invaders, and every man slept in his clothes, ready to be called away to the landing boats. Lieutenant Gleig said, The stir and noise of equipping, and then the calmness and stillness of expectation, these are the things which force a man to think. On board HMS Surprise, Captain Edward Codrington noted, The work of destruction is now to begin, and there will probably be many broken heads tonight. I do not like to contemplate scenes of blood and destruction, but my heart is deeply interested in the coercion of these Baltimore heroes, who are perhaps the most inveterate against us of all the Yankees. At two o'clock in the morning, the creaking of ropes and tackle lowering invasion boats into the water was the only sound heard. On the water, the boats assembled by divisions and approached the shore. 
led by one boat with a carronade in its bow as a defense against a contested landing. But there was none, and the troops landed and quickly formed in a nearby field. Having made the march to Washington, General Ross's force of 4,700 deployed in a similar fashion, and a little after seven o'clock began their march.